that. Blessings all who are present. Thanks for tuning in. This is the Fully Reflective Podcast. The intention for this podcast is in the name, Fully Reflective, to be fully present and reflect on whatever the topic is, but in a larger sense, it's the whole world. It's all that exists. And it's we, ourselves, as a living incarnation of all that exists. And we are the soul. The soul self reflects on itself. And when you're really shining, that causes this event. And we're calling that full reflectivity. So uh, fully reflective. Here we are, episode one. What a uh, tremendous honor and privilege it is for me to be able to uh, introduce this person. I do a little bit on the episode, but uh, I felt called to come back here and do a little bit of an intro before the actual um, piece starts, because we kind of just jumped right into it with a fun kind of uh, intro there. You'll see, you'll hear. This man, Paradox Pollock, came into my life in... 2017 and as I mentioned we we met working at this youth organization in LA just working with kids and I was immediately infected by his passion for storytelling but also his like uh, he was he was this archetype of a person that I, I hadn't really interfaced with before he's like the jester and he's like a clown in one moment and then he's like this teacher he's like Yoda and then he's Jar Jar Binks and it was, it was immediate camaraderie, and it was also an immediate understanding, which um, for me somehow had something to do with working in the industry, working in some kind of a close proximity or deep wovenness with Hollywood. Um, growing up in the situation that I did, which if you're not familiar with that, maybe Google, maybe not. Hey, I don't care. Um, but it's context in my lensing. And uh, to me, this is all sadhana. Sadhana is a word that that one you can Google. It's a Sanskrit term. Um, and he had, yeah, so he had interesting context. He had understanding of like who my father was and this like rock and roll like kingdom that I came from. But also he had full understanding of like very specific references in the Bhagavad Gita and yogic understanding and also like mystical uh, Christic understanding, occult processes esoteric wisdom insights, read a lot um, spoke on a lot articulately and was also really able to recognize when um, he didn't have the information about the certain thing being talked about and he'd ask questions beautifully so that's a bit of an intro to this person named Paradox Pollock. It's a beautiful conversation. Um, we dip and dive into all kinds of fun stuff. Enjoy. Um, man, what a blessing. Truly. Enjoy. We are in process. We are we were, we were spiraling appendages. Yes, we are we are spiraling progressively in progress. Wow. Just talk to you, man. Man, so such a blessing to be connected here with you in this moment. Um, 
Yeah. Uh, no real like super formal, rigid way to go about this. I've been getting this call to do podcasts really as art form because yep. it's like, uh, and we've talked about it before, like long as you drink from a lens, perfect. That's really all it is. It's about drinking from a lens. Um, yeah, it's like this long form dialogue based exhibit of lenses. Yeah. Um, yeah. And uh, yeah, I mean, there's there's several things that we could dive into, but want to maybe share with those who don't have context as to what A, maybe who and where and what you come from, and then B, also how we kind of became appendage complexes in close proximity. And then maybe just like a tapestry that feels really uh, potently relevant to, to zoom into um, with this format. So maybe just, uh, yeah, maybe just start by zooming us into, uh, I suppose an atypical way of talking about it is the origins of your lensing. Mm, okay. Well, uh, you know, when consciousness begins, is a really interesting kind of like orientation. Where did my consciousness begin? You right. know, where do I, where do I have these kind of station points of beginning in my network of context? You know, and my first context, you know, is Philadelphia, born and raised, um, to a family that believed in tradition but was breaking with tradition because they weren't able to hold the form of family. And so I gained all of this beautiful insight from my father was a psychologist, was working at uh, Great Deferred Prison, doing um, you know, group therapy and worked on Skid Row. And you know, my mom was a stay-at-home mom and you know, a loving woman doing her best, uh, but really confused, you know, trying to integrate the great 1950s version of what America, you know, said a family should be, but that it wasn't happening for her, you know? And so my father, who had been an Olympic level fencer and was teaching, you know, was doing these, you know, psychological experiences at Greaterford while I was, you know, in my own little mythology, you know, he would read stories to us every night and we would get classical mythology and then I, oh, I, I, didn't, I didn't know he was a fencer that's a, that's that's great context yeah yeah he was an olympic level fencer um oh. and uh for some reason i can't remember the exact details there was some reason that they were not able to get to a certain olympics like they had the team and he was like first you know he was like in the first tier and you know he was like ramped to get that gold and then they weren't able to uh, actually make it happen which, you know, so, but he was, he was on that, he was on that team in 1963, I think it was, 64. Anyway, uh, you know, you get that, that sense of, of greatness, you know, that desire for greatness, we get that from our parents, you know, some, some great longing to be intelligent, to be clear about like our our position in life you know like the struggles that they had to overcome they become a part of our story and you know it's like 
both of my parents were immigrants. You know, they, they I, I'm first generation on my mother's side who was born in Cuba via, you know, like Poland, her whole family immigrated, you know, avoiding the pogrom of, of Nazi Germany. You know, so there's this like this legacy of where does consciousness come from, you know, and I see myself in a lot of ways as somebody that's trying through story and storytelling and the physical body and, you know, the translations of mythologies into like the revealing of um, freedom from oppressions, uh, the possibility of uh, creating one's own voice in the world, um, how to clarify uh, uh, and kind of become, you know, more realized both as a, as a creator in, in, in the arts, but also as a, um, you know, somebody that, as, as people, you know, how do, we, how do we get closer to the signal that, you know, really comes from our source? rather than all of the, the noise, but, you know, from the signal. Mm, mm. Powerful, beautiful, succinct. Um, the, while, while listening, and uh, also there was a nice background percussion palette that was, like, emphasizing your uh, story as well. Um, I, I feel like some context also, I don't know if I'm going to insert this at the beginning or what, but just a, like a framework as to how this is even happening here. Um, yeah, this is such a privilege for me to introduce this being that has come into my life to this format to whoever, whoever is going to tune into this digital documentation of this. Um, this man, this person, this being, Paradox Pollock has become such a, a powerful reference point in my life for so many things, um, artistry, integrated spirituality, um, embodied storytelling, emphasis on body, um, uh, man, political identity, tribalism, um, tactile, philosophical, social engineering kind of identity conversations. Um, so many different things. And we met, we met just telling stories for kids. We met uh, with a, a, a youth organization in the LA area called Topanga Canyon, uh, sorry, in Topanga Canyon area called Peace Guardians and um, ended up transitioning both, both of us out of that space into our own respective paths. But, um, you know, I find myself in a Topanga Canyon cliffside view of just epicness and who knows who these people are. It comes come to find out that this man next to me, like myself, has, has strived and had uh, some snowball success in the film industry, storytelling on a really grand level. And I, I thought that was really um, interesting segue there because I, I was immediately interested when I found out that you had a resume as such, because like my human earth father, you know, some folks, they get that kind of touch of Hollywood and they, they never come back. They're like more and more Hollywood by the day. Some folks you know, they never touch the Hollywood and it's almost like they have this fresh organic feeling about their being. Um, some folks touch the Hollywood, but they don't want to lose that organic being. And I felt that camaraderie there with you in that space, because there is something bright and big about, you know, being in front of the, in front of and behind the camera and being on big sets and being in the big production of a storytelling situation like that. But, um, 
talk i mean like yeah where do you want to go we got what are you an hour or so you want to dive into like i love that as a talking point of signal signal around that we've talked about that several times like signal being really what it's all about and i remember you were one of the first souls that helped me see my medicine in these mirror sessions which you know i just i was rocco and then i'm sitting with someone that's moving through their system and I swear to you, I'm not Rocco anymore. I am now this reflective, prismatic, electromagnetic mirror situation that's able to assist one in seeing the difference between their story and who they really are. And this language that you kind of um, permeated me with was, was signal versus noise. Yeah. Um, I think this is a strong transition, take the baton when it feels right, but something about, I mean, you talk about value, you want to talk about kind of not just money and Bitcoin and stuff like that, but, you know, there's a signal there, there's, there's this signal in politics that's around, you know, ideas that are really important to people, but then there's so much noise, you know, there's interpersonal relationships, that's like soul to soul interaction signal based, um, then there's noise, there's the drama, there's social hierarchy, just insanity bullshit that really prevents, I don't know, most, let's fair to say most people from getting to the signal. Maybe do that, maybe, maybe, I mean, wherever you want, but maybe yeah, I mean, it's, at what signal is for a second. It's, it's, I think it's beautiful, you know, just to like, again, like once you kind of pull out this mosaic of references, you know, like I wanted to just start out with like my my legacy and my family because more and more as you grow older, I think there's a kind of you know understanding that you're made of this stuff, and this stuff carries its own message. That the body itself is a conduit for a specific kind of information that you can you can you know kind of dial in every frequency and you can you know identify and move through every possibility in the universe, but that there's already a predilection, a kind of, you know, orientation. So it's like listening to the signal of my family, you know, felt really important to kind of bring out, you know, but like, it's very easy also to say, well, you know, my signal is what I've done in the world, you know, what I have, what I have chosen in my, in my actuality, which, you know, you reference in terms of the Hollywood and, you know, me, you know, when I was coming up, we were doing, you know, um, three shows a year in, in repertory. I was playing six roles in every show. You know, this idea of being oneself is you're a shapeshifter. Which, which you know? just for context, this means in circus. This is what it was, you were in the circus. It was in theater first. You know, when I was, when I was in Philadelphia, we were doing radical avant-garde, mad spectacle theater. Um, you know, with a group called Big Mess Theater. And I was there with my brother. We had run away from home when I was 14. I had almost died in a fire. I had done, you know, 13 hits of LSD before we knew what it was. We were out on the streets, you know. Wait, wait, wait. How, how, how old from what era is this? I mean, what years? 1984 to 2000. So 1984, you're how old at I'm that point? You're 14 in 1984, so born in 1970. That's correct. So 1984, you're 14. You've had, I think this is a profound moment as well because psychedelics disrupt to traditional psychological persona uh, framework. So you're oh, yeah. 14, 
you're 14, handful of LSD experiences in, but not knowing what that is, do you didn't even have the term LSD? Well, I mean, we knew, I knew that it, what it was called and I was, you know, being bravado because I was saying like, you know, I, I acted as if I had done it before when I hadn't because I was being all like trying to be better than my brother. And we're out, you know, on the town and I've already got four hits in me. And I come to the wooden shoe books, this anarchist bookstore where we were staying on this, on the, you know, having been, having run away already and having already, I stopped breathing in the fire. My brother saved my life, brought me out. Now we're traveling on the auspices and, and, and boon of, you know, artists in Philadelphia taking us in. And, you know, one of the people that took us in was this anarchist bookstore. So I'm daily sitting, reading, you know, all of this anarchist literature, all of these, you know, alternative views, you know, Noam Chomsky and like all these different things like back in the day, like we're, we're different viewpoints. And, you know, a friend of mine says, here, take this. I take it. She's got a whole sheet over the course of the evening. We take that entire sheet of LSD, my brother, myself, and uh, two, the two friends who we were also sometimes staying with. And, you know, I mean, one of the things that I talk about consistently is, you know, we've got a finite body with an infinite source. And that infinite source can be named spirit, it can be named soul, it can be named imagination, it can be named, and every, every tradition has its own name for it, but there is an infinity within that can be shaped from anything into anything and give meaning to anything in any way. And it's only like this physical form where we have sensation, we have memory, and we have the consistency of something that is pulsing every moment, that's breathing in and out, that has you know, a reminder of all of the history, as I've mentioned with the family, you know? And when you touch that infinity, when you touch that, that infinite source, there's so many channels for what it can be. And I think that signal is essentially the channels for that infinity. May I, may I undulate that for a second? Please. Signal is where infinity meets a concentrated expression. Focus. It's, it's where the focus occurs. It's where the focus occurs. And in the midst of that focus, there are many things vying or what is true, what is real, what is actually occurring in that moment. And it is your level of focus to be able to isolate, parse, and layer out all that is not actually valuable to that moment in this context, this one and singular moment where we are called to our attention to give that singular focus. And that's the difference between signal and noise. There are so many things that want to call on your attention. When you're in that conduit space and you're being open for a mirroring session with somebody, there are so many things that want to vie for your attention as to what to say for this person. And you're moving everything out of the way that can, you can possibly do to just be present with their vibration, with their necessity, with what they need at that moment. You know, 
And so much of the work that I do in Hollywood and have done in Hollywood is identifying, here's, here's a script arc. Here's a storyline that's been mapped out by, by the writers. And here's the actor coming into that stream. And so when I was working with Chris Hemsworth on Thor, when I was working with Tom Hiddleston on Loki, the focus of those moments was how close can we get you to being a true conduit for what's the arc of this character. This, this character has an unworthiness and then a worthiness. This character has a journey from being immortal to mortal, you know, in, in terms of the arc of Thor's character on that film, you know, humility, pride, all of these different things. How can we identify each moment where you feel that signal super strong and can play with it until something is embodied. I think this is a really interesting place to zoom in because for, for listeners, you know, we might be, uh, I mean, any, any, any pathway of life, a mom or a plumber or a teacher, we all experience this concept of signal versus noise, distraction versus focus. But this is a really interesting place to, to kind of focus it or for us to hear a bit more of your kind of lensing because so what's the actual situation? You're, you're working on a, th a Thor or a, a Loki type of movie and you're a movement director or you're working with this kind of actor on physical, everything from facial stuff to it's like, what degree are you practicalizing this, this idea of a signal versus noise? Yeah, like, I mean, I can give you a really practical kind of application and then I'd love to kind of share, you know, a little bit of what you were just talking about in terms of generalizing it. So for Thor, Thor, the, you know, Kenneth Branagh came to me, the director of Thor and said, you know, I need you to work with the Frost Giants. I successfully, you know, knocked that out of the park. I gave them stuff they didn't have. I really transformed. He was like, okay, I'd like you to move up the chain. Uh, he, we have our principal actor. Um, he feels like a prince. We need him to be a god. Can you do that? And and so your your title on call sheet is what? Uh, at that time, it was acting coach um, wow. or movement coach. Wow, uh, actually. And so then you, so you begin a dialogue with uh, Hemsworth on physical physical. That's the emphasis physicality. Yes, on how to embody. You know and. I brought in all of these images and we worked out the combat, you know, we were just doing it like drills for a little bit. And then, you know, I had maybe 10 sessions with him over uh, a month period. And about the second or third session, I started talking to him about what is the power of thunder. Thunder comes after lightning, it resounds. So everything that we're doing, all of the movement that we're doing is, you know, about this resounding off of the walls. It's not really percussive. It's, it's, a, it's a less, it's expansive. It's a kind of the settling after the percussion. Yes, and, it's, and, it's, and then it's also what arrives back. Right, right, right. So it's like when it goes out, it comes back. And so his, you know, the, the essence of what locked in for him where he transformed was he felt that movement where as he was just doing these small gestures, he could feel it 
rippling out to the walls and coming back to him. And it changed his physicality. And it was just one tiny adjustment, you know, like the, the movement of one flower in a flower arrangement or the turn of one like quick, tight little quick motion that like locks the plumbing into its shape that that, you know, that's practice that you do, you know, that a, that a really practiced person at their job does each time in a precise and exact way, you know, and it's, it's those wow. kinds of signatures that live across humanity as the tricks that we learn, you know, that we, that we master. Last thing I'll say, because um, I'd love your reflection on what I'm sharing. Yeah, beautiful. Is the, you know, there's a, Martin Prechtel is a, a great Quechuan uh, uh, um, writer uh, from South America. Uh, can't highly recommend, can't, can't recommend him enough to search him out on the internet and, and look him up. But one of the things that he writes about in one of his books is this idea that only families that learn a magic trick survive. Wow. Back in the day, back in the day, when there wasn't so much support for survival, you know, through all of the mechanisms of modern society, if you wanted to survive, you had to learn a magic trick. You had to learn something that no one else could do, that because you could do it, that little turn of the knob, that little, you know, you know, double, double strike on the, on the bell, whatever it was that there was something, everyone was like, you gotta keep that person around. Right, right. Wait, what's the name again? Martin what? Martin. M-A-R-T-I-N, Prechtel, P-R-E-C-H-T-E-L, Prechtel. And there's, a, there's an incredible piece by him on a recording called uh, Grief and Praise that I cannot hi highly recommend enough um, to just immediately, after you're finished listening to us, uh, tune to that. Grief and Praise, uh, an interview with, or a speech by Martin Prechtel powerful yeah but that magic trick man that 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 signature move that that um understanding of all of the details of nature and life and mind and you know to be able to find that one little place where you can turn a key on it and it opens up for everyone man um may I? please Please. Man, so I'm listening to what was just said and the, the yogi in me is like, oh, that's a Kriya. That's a utility-based Kriya that, so, you know, I'm, I'm here on the ranch with Ted and I could ask that guy anything. And there's these rhythms that just quick ways that it's like he's never not in some kind of orchestration. You know, um, I was uh, setting something up for him for his laptop today. And uh, I'm like nearby tech assistant unofficially, officially. Um, and uh, he just said, I, I said something to him, but he wasn't responsive. And I look and he's already kind of in his And he's already finding it, picks up the guitar. It kind of is like, he's not mumbling words, but he's like talk, uh, whispering sound stuff 
to something and he's getting it and then he kind of just touches the neck of the guitar for a second hands within two seconds no that's not it and he starts doing the thing that he you could tell he just heard it but now he has to find it and i was like man i that's where i get that from um but also that's you know that's a kriya he he's he's in a kriya called ted so this is also where my work is you know as a as a siddha practitioner comes in where i can see someone's being compressed by their trauma into an echoing feedback loop of an identity that with the use of really pronouns of me and i it's actually looping them in an echo chamber of reality where they can't see the source of the distortion they are the the distortion perpetuator and so these series of mirrors and questions and sometimes tactics and tactical experiences that I can provide will just reflect the soul's presence back to itself. And there's that moment, which I call visceral epiphany. And you have this, I'm not that, oh, so I untie, I try to untie that. That's what my teacher described. My teacher described it, um, Will Dupree to me as that one time. He's like, I'm just helping you untie the knot called you and I was like oh but one last thing on that it's like a teacher might have in a schoolroom, it might have something with a pen or something on a desk uh and you said plumber like that the belt that he wears before he goes to like these practical tactical and I think sensory sensory based um uh yeah attitudinally affecting things that we do with the actual body in rhythm and in time can act like a kriya and help us find this kind of magic thing that you're talking about as the sorry well, that, and that's that's what i wanted to identify first off i really love some detail on what a kriya is its context yeah. and, and what what we're actually on on you know kind of unraveling here because yes. it in itself is a tool you know someone listening to this and it was like well, what is a kriya you know what is what is that and how can i use it you know, and, and the, the, the thing that I wanted to put up here as a polarity for you to think about and us to talk about is there's, there's the gift that's given by being successful in a certain way. And then there's the kind of formulation around that success that becomes its own problem. The noise. And, and, and so I wanted to kind of tool out this because I think for me, this is about uh, beginning to move towards the currency concept that wow. there's something that there's something of value that I created in the world that works for me and my family, but then it creates its own problem in a way and how to balance these and find value between them, but also how to offer that value in the world and not take away from others and the value that they have in the world. Like there's a, there's just like this, I, I, it kind of came to me as a whole construct. Yeah. I think we can start with just what is a Kriya? Like, how do, would you describe a Kriya in, this con, in that context? Yeah, in, in this context, I would describe a Kriya as uh, an action that you do with your mind and your body at the same time that alters the energy of your system. And system means uh, emotion, mental, physical, but then physiological and neurological 
and biochemical, these are all kind of facets of physiological. Um, so this, for instance, there's a Kriya where you press your thumbs into your ears, your pointer fingers go over your eyes, you plug your nose and you hold your breath, but you're pressing the tip of your tongue to the roof of your mouth as you're squeezing the perineum, which is basically what you cut off urine flow with, and which is its own lock. And it's that lock is called a bunda. Don't hurt yourself, whatever. It looks like, it looks great um, and so that bottom, that, that root, uh, women are familiar with it potentially that aren't in a uh, yogic lineage that they just call it Kegel muscles, but it's basically your urinary tract muscle control. You reten you, you have a retention there. You squeeze that, bring that up towards the belly button. And that's a banda. A banda is a lock. And that lock basically prevents energy from leaking out there, which otherwise it could potentially you could say that it's just circulating in what we would call the auric field or even the auric field might sound spiritual, but it's really it's a biomechanical aspect of the actual body. Um, so a Kriya is this practice that these, you know, these dudes sat, you know, in the mountains and they realized the nature of things. And then they found ways to assist the nature of things and lessen their hindrance of the nature of things. So, um, how's that for an articulation of Kriya? Yeah, that's great. That's great. So again, like to reiterate what I'm hearing is that a Kriya is a set of actions that you do with your body that bring you greater clarity, greater presence, uh, greater circulation of certain flows within the body. Which um, on the way to the greater circulation, you might actually have to hinder the circulation. Right, right. And this is, you know, I mean, so one of the things I'm thinking about is like, in terms of social relationships, um, if someone says, well, what do you think about that? That's a Kriya. It's, it's a, it is a, a moment where I've just shared with you and then I share with you that I'm interested in you. And that's, a, that's one of those magic tricks that allows someone to enter the room. If I'm brilliant and I have so much to offer and so much to say, and I'm just over the top with how much value I have to offer in the universe, but I can't actually say to you, what do you think about what I'm sharing? Sounds like someone I know. You lose a great amount of the value that it has for the other person. It's still, it's super valuable for you because you get to express and you get to know what it is that you're sharing in the world. But do you know what it's actually effect is? And this kind of cultural sensitivity and listening to the other is a skill set that can, can become hippie and, you know, too much. But if there's a beautiful balancing of sharing of your offering and then listening for the response. I, I'm hearing also uh, trauma and what trauma causes i look at it as any belly button and an audi belly button is the kind of predominant polarities that each soul takes and that audi belly button is solar the any belly button is lunar 
So someone might be really good at asking questions, might be good at reflecting or deflecting, but they might not have any real confidence in saying I'm brilliant and I'm, and I'm, and turning on that faucet of expressing. And so there's, there's a couple of things happening here. There's a one concept called the densities, the densities of consciousness. And then there's another concept called solar lunar. So within every density, there is solar and there's lunar. And you could also say that solar lunar is masculine and feminine. In masculine and feminine, I, I would say that each of the four primary elements are also towards uh, masculine and feminine, um, and they can switch in polarity there as well. But someone that's you know, kind of addicted to being solar doesn't necessarily mean it's wrong, but it might be a reflection of their trauma, uh, kind of their trauma mixed with their astrology, push them into this identity composition and that you could say that is a type of Kriya for, for source, for spirit. And now their belly button is kind of just always used to doing that. Now that exact same reflection exists on the opposite end of the spectrum where it's like someone doesn't have any connection with speaking, even if they're given, you know, vivid interest. Hey, what do you think? I don't, I don't, you know, I don't really. And but so I think, I think that these, these are the magic tricks because mm -hmm. it is like, all of those things that you just referenced, there's massive bodies of information that have to be channeled and understood for them to make sense. And there are just these little trigger points or these little memory kind of, you know, keys where if you say something in the right way at the right time with someone, all of those worlds of big knowledge and understanding become very practical. Yes. in an instant and it's it's those kinds of magic tricks and when i say magic tricks i just mean things that are enacted that have tangible effect that carry with them a massive amount of understanding that comes before and i keep you know re referencing it to the plumber the plumber that knows how to twist the you know to twist the, the the metal at a certain curve so that the water flows easily and attach it in the right way you know or just unclog unclog your toilet you can't do it you've been trying at it for hours and they just go unclogged your toilet you know what i mean like it's it's a it's a precision but it's practical so that and, that, and that and that practicality gives it value yes and yes, because all of that information, all of the information about what a Korea is and all of its context and all of its history and all of the ways in which it could be valuable to you is only valuable to you when it actually is in that moment of the key being turned. Yes. Otherwise, it's noise. Otherwise, it's noise. It's not valuable. It doesn't have any context. You know, so all of all of the astrological conjunctions of the universe mean nothing without that moment where you go, oh my God, I'm standing here right now and I have a decision to make. And this person is saying something to me that helps me to see all of the previous decisions and how I have this decision to make right now. And if I make the right decision or if I make a decision that this could change my life. And when you, when you see it in the context of, of acting, it's always really important to like see this bigger thing because scripts are written to show and illustrate great transitions of lives. Things that happen that change them forever. 
a combat, a trauma, a moment of, of change and transformation. That's what, a, that's what a writer is doing. They're, they're scripting these very minute moments of transition where you can see big things happen out of small moments. And if you're coaching someone to become open to that moment, and then they actually go, I feel it, I feel it, I understand. You know, and then you see them do the lines that they just did in curiosity, but not certainty. And they do it in a way that like, oh my God, you just unveiled this experience and everyone who sees you do this will understand. That's the same moment in a person's life where you give them an opportunity to see how the trauma has been affecting them for the entirety of their lives. And you give them that choice to make a new perspective on it, to make a new choice when that choice, when, when, that, when that consistent reminder of how they are or how they've seen themselves comes up, you have a choice. You have a choice. I, I sense this is a great transition towards currency because in, in this work that I've been engaging in recently, we talk about... Uh, my team and I, we talk about, you know, currency really is the current C and the C level is, you know, this word kind of etymology connection between currency, money, um, mani, mani pura, the, the yellow chakra, third ray, and this sense of solar plexus, the identity, but the currency, the river, the flow of that energy source flowing. Um, but also something that's, paradoxical that we just kind of pointed at which is like um you know i could talk to i mean ted and maybe his hunting buddies about a kriya and i would be so uncomfortable within seconds of bringing it up because i could feel and this has happened only enough times as i needed it to happen where it's like don't talk about those things with those people got it it's a reflection it's a reflection that that's not needed that's not relevant that's not helpful. If I continued, I'd actually be disjointed. It's not in context. Uh, ready for the bagpipe solo? Oh man, I forgot. I forgot this was a funeral. Sorry. Uh, it's disconnected. It's not in harmony. It's not in unison. So the value, uh, maybe if I'm in the middle of the nineties on the set of Braveheart, man, that bag, that bagpipe's got value and it's got a, it's got a very a specific prescribed high value currency there. Same thing with these magic tricks. These magic tricks are now stay with me there. I think this is the story of Christ that becomes the story of autism. I have a, a very vivid, I think it's my, one of my life works, primary notes, of understanding how Christ as a soul, the soul self, the atma, the yogic word for soul self is atma. I understand that the word Christ really means Christos and the crystalline self is the Christed self. The Christed self is the high soul self. The yogic word for that is Jiva Atma or Paramatma. So the atma is the Christ, the Christ that you are, I am, the mutual indwelling that this soul awareness is. We can get esoteric, but we don't need to. But Christ becomes an autistic person at some point and how, how that uh, interrupts normalcy is something that I'm very interested in as a, uh, 
as almost like a beautiful reflection and it's perfect. But right now and where we're at in society, it's deeply misunderstood. Um, and so this gift can be seen as broken. Someone's magic trick can be seen as wrong. Someone's thing that's valuable, uh, it's this old colloquialism, uh, one man's trash is another man's treasure. It kind of shows up in all these different moments. Point, what, do you, what are you seeing with that? Because that- Translation, it's translation. You know, the currency, the currency of um, an Indonesian rupiah to the dollar is 14,000 rupiah to $1. So the value of money and action here is not as valuable as the actions of an American action, right? So that's, that's a translation of value. If you want to talk spiritual uh, aesthetics, to a group of people that are entirely practical, there is a way to translate it to the trigger and the moment of shooting that elk that can be a moment of revelation for them. Translation. Context, the context of this hunting is that there's a mindset of communion with the animal. There's a mindset of being in that right exact pocket of, you know, and the question is, can you draw out the correlation to include their family history, their father's perspective, the way in which they got the discipline in the first place? Like <clears throat> any of a million avenues on that one moment that is a relatable moment. If, if, if we're talking about the doctrine of Christ as it relates to the individual neurodiversity of each person and how they are each separate in their way of perceiving, but contain that one singular spark that is out of alignment with any other truth, but is the true alignment with God that is the autistic signature. That person's really connected to what they're doing, but they don't make sense to anyone else. So it's, it's the currency is the translation of value from someplace where there's 14,000 to one, and then the one, how do you equalize value so that you're actually generating an ongoing sense of continuity of not just not just value in terms of currency and money but but meaning and and communication of see this is valuable because this buys you a yacht or this buys you you know power or this buys you something that's relatable and then and then you can begin to shift the value right the, the last thing i'll say about this is like in the nft world 
I don't know any of the minutiae. I don't really get any of the details. But what I know is that things become validated first in this way. Someone spent a billion dollars on it. Someone spent a million dollars. And it was like, oh my God, someone spent a million dollars on it. It must be valuable. I'm listening now. Yeah. And, and, and you get enough of those. Someone made 10 of these things or $400,000 a piece. What are they? Uh, well, it doesn't know. really matter. What it translates to is someone cared enough to spend 400 grand 10 times on this thing. And it becomes valid and it validates the blockchain. And the blockchain is now, because of this validation, an open frame for people to generate value within it. Now, it could just end up being a money laundering thing for terrible, terrible forces. Black market forces could be terrible. It could do terrible things. For we don't money. know. We don't know. But it could also do incredible things in terms of, you know, uh, DAOs, uh, distributed autonomous organizations that utilize the blockchain to be able to say, we don't spend money on anything that damages the environment. And anyone who spends money in this, in this distributed organization, which could be as large as a nation and small as a household, will not spend money on anything that has been identified as causing damage to people, places, or resources. Okay. You know? And so there's ways that money can be generated that the blockchain validates but the first entry point is this translation of the NFT, right? So all of this to say that, you know, the autistic moment of something that doesn't fit in, but is trying so hard to be itself experiencing life and then being able to show the value of that to others is this point of, currency generation how do you say to your father and his hunting buddies i really want to communicate to you the value of a kriya and trauma or how do you communicate to you know 90 percent of baby boomers i want to communicate to you the value of an nft right but the the answer to both is translation 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 um, I feel this uh, nudge to invite you to illuminate an aspect of, I mean, you're in Bali right now. You're an American human man creature, and you've been led to this value in living in another place. What do you have to maybe point at or, or what, what has most um, occupied your attention in terms of value? in shift i mean you got you had to see some value to shift to actually living at this other place mm -hmm. um what what was that well when i was when i was 20 i decided that i was going to pursue my deep desire to understand the way in which other cultures translated performance um, i had been a performer for six years i had done theater I had investigated dance and um, some aspects of circus and, you know, big spectacle. And I saw some performance in images and in, in, in film 
that said Bali is where you need to go. You saw footage of the monkey dance, the monkey chant. Yes, I saw footage of Hanuman dancing as part of some larger performance, which ended up being the Ketchak, uh, the, the Balinese monkey chant that is done, uh, was done during tourist times avidly in Uluwatu, uh, Southern Bali and Ubud, Central Bali, and comes out of a very, very old tradition of an exorcistic ritual to purge a village of darkness, evil spirits, bad thoughts, negative connotations. And that signature magic trick that I witnessed as a singular image drew me to come here. And that was when I was 20, um, before a large amount of commercialism occurred here, uh, when it was still, believe it or not, even in the 90s, it was still dirt roads, no, no like very rare electricity, very much village life. And, you know, I still to this day, every time I walk out and talk to people in the streets and I mention the teacher that I studied with, the time that I was here, the things that I did, they're just like, wow, you were here when it was different Bali, yeah. you know? And because of that, it changed me. And the way in which I was taught changed me. Um, you know, the, the approach of my teacher, Pak Tutor, uh, when I first came here, was very dismissive, very funny, you know, very like, you're a frog, you'll never get it. But then at the very end, he put me right in the center of the Ketchak dance, where I wanted to be, where he understood that I, I came there for this. And he made me pay every day, laughing at me, laughing with me, you know, but then he put me right in the center of the Ketchak dance for four, four or five hours where I got to do exactly what I came there for two days before I left. The understanding of time is different here. The understanding of cycles of human behavior is different here. The understanding that everyone is a part of something that they're doing on a consistent basis, that it's based around time signatures of three day, five day, seven day, 13 day, 20 day, 60 day cycles. And that they're all interacting like breath and pulse and, and the cycles of the neurological system. And that there's this massive calendar that's linking all of it. And that's, that's what they're doing when they're celebrating and making their daily offerings. It is an integrated religious practice that is essentially cultural unification with natural processes on a daily basis. And when you look at the art that they make and you see 20 people doing rhythms that are interlocking that where any individual, you know, any individual one of these gongs or bells sounds beautiful on its own, but you create this synthesis, a massive fugue of interacting, you know, polyrhythms that like each have their own clarity and yet signature this massive symphony you see that it's, it's not just they make a nice calendar and they make nice music. It's one integrated thing mm. that we have lost, mm. you know? And people feel it in these different moments when you're out in your hunting group, let's say, you know, with Ted, 
He's out there in his, with his hunting group and they're looking at nature itself and ending a life in total reverence. And so for them, they feel it at that moment and they get it and they're like, this has usefulness, this has utility, this does this, you know? You know, and, and maybe, maybe even that plumber feels it when they walk up and they go, you know, and they open the, they open the doorway. You know, we're a mother when she reaches her kid and they stop crying where everyone gets some aspect of it. But this is a society that's structured to do it every consistently, not every day. I mean, they make offerings every day, but they, you know, this, this idea of us all being together, all making this music, all being there and showing up for it. It's different than watching the latest Marvel movie. At the, at the cinema. I hear you do it effortlessly and I've learned from you as you do it, that you do, you are integral. You, you have a way of saying, you know, this is why I moved to Bali, America, you know, but a Bali, you know, and even it's, you know, integral, but even 10, hundred, but you know, I don't know how much they are in that moment, but you, you painted it in a way that makes it look nice. But my question to you is, because we have to at least admit that not everyone is functioning in this integral framework, that this, this non-integral framework is causing people to look at other people as you're lower than I am, or other, and, and probably a lot in America, you are higher than I am, and I envy that, and I'm, and I'm or whatever it is. It's a, it's a judgmental self-comparison flash of a moment that puts uh, person A's ego and person B's ego at different plateaus, at different bandwidths. And yet something that you just displayed in, in your, your mentioning of these different contexts of living, you were able to uh, point at it, but then neuralize or, or rather neutralize your own pointing at it and saying there's still something divine there. N look at it, point at it, neutralize it. There's still something divine there, but you're in Bali. You're not in Texas. Right. But my, my, let, let, let me cap it. Let me cap it. Please, please, what please. is that? What is the faculty that causes because I, I, I was in Bali for 21 days and it changed my life and it was with you and I met uh, a Ketchak a master that changed my life and that entire experience changed my framework and integrated me into something very practical which for me takes place in my most immediate faculty my mind body spirit complex my situation my psychology my experience with spirituality mystic experiences whatever you want to call it but coming back here to Texas and coming to America, and you're not in America right now, what is that? But I'm sure it happens over there too. What is that faculty, if you had to put words to it, um, which I'm asking you to, what is that faculty that we're pointing at that doesn't translate? Because this is now how it connects back to currency that, that well, says NFTs are bad. It's a waste of time. The internet is taking our souls. Ah, and Web3 is evil. What is that part of us as a collective that doesn't get it? Okay, so so... I watched the entirety of uh, the podcast where Ted and, and Joe were talking. Please. And when I'm, when I'm watching Ted Nugent speak, there is a level of authority that he speaks from where he's able to call other people idiots. Man. And, and in that, there's a disrespect and there's exactly that I'm tuning myself up and tuning someone else down. Man. 
this kind of element is a kind of revenge of the repressed because over time, you know, the technological, we are intellectual and we're going to show you how our society is better because it considers all the low people and brings everybody up together and how that has failed. Neoliberalism has failed. You know, there's a certain level of the everyday, you know, hunter that Ted represents being saying, see, fuck you. See, it didn't work. It's not good. It's not sound. You know, what you're proposing was not good. You know, your end to oppression just generated more oppression. You know, like now you guys are trying to oppress us and we're kicking back and there's all of these back and forth royal and toiling of like the mad raging sea storms in the center of our culture. Of duality. You know, that duality and the proving of oneself as correct over someone else. And that, that element and being able to say, actually, there's an integrative mentality that says your point of view is valid, valuable, important to me. I care about your perspective. I believe that you understand something fundamentally beautiful about the universe when you shoot that deer and provide its flesh to people who are hungry. And that in your justification for everything else that you do, there is something very powerful that I know you align with that is true for you, that is also elementally and fundamentally true. Also included in the vast mosaic of life and how it operates, these people who are otherwise focused on things that they would like to be able to be more healthy, like being able to do tempeh and tofu in a way that isn't ecologically degradative, you know, um, but haven't yet figured it out, want to understand what you have. And we want to work together to create a better currency and value set for all involved. So it doesn't become about, I have more money than you. I have a more beautiful wife than you. I have a more successful situation than you. So fuck you for not being able to fit into my worldview. You're wrong. Because I feel like that's just the same archetype of what happens on playgrounds. And now those folks grew up and these have, or those don't have. And then even the don't, it's this middle fingers back and forth for whatever reason that it is. Um, it's justification as to right and wrong for whatever reason that it is. Um, it's uh, Sadhguru talks about it as like inclusive versus non versus exclusive, and I mean just on a conversational level, I you know I, I I've grown up around this guy since I I came here in this suit, and uh, man those those kind of moments, uh, for me it does it's like man I get it if 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 that was the only version of a conservative that I ever heard in that kind of flash bullet point of a moment. I would be like, man, fuck all that shit too. And fuck all those white people that are like that. And fuck all the conservative red hat wearing people that are like that. Because that's kind of the same wound, knife, trauma, you know, something went in, something got hurt. Something said I did it. Something said it did it to me. And it's this wound in our collective that it's like, 
I don't know, because of the internet potentially, it's like now we're more zoomed in on the wound itself. There's, there's missions coming out of both sides of the wound and they just keep pointing at each other. And there's a handful of like disruptors to that conversation that I think are bringing philosophical, spiritual based context to understanding how these traumas are actually spiritual tribal trauma complexes that are magnetically warping reality to its towards itself in this into some type of a moment of or whatever that releases and i really i really want to hear i really want to hear from you what you feel is out there in culture that is integrative because we've got you know massive amounts of cancel culture cancel culture pushback Man. you know we've got black lives matter all lives blue lives you know like there's so many deep conversations going on and as a an observer and a participant you know and specifically as a white person you know trying to integrate these oppressions and then the history of this intellectual legacy that says that everything is power dynamics and oppression in systematic destruction of specific peoples you know all of this construct what is it that is signal for you amidst all of this language yeah. amidst all of this trauma being expressed where do you see a thread that that can be that can be pulled on and 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 without snapping it that can be pulled on that can help to unravel all of this mess siddha if there were more individuals that became self-realized and you could take a yogic pathway or a different pathway but the word siddha from my context the word siddha basically means perfect sight so it's actually the attempt to use your subjectiveness to kind of resolve your subjectiveness's ability to warp your objectivity meaning i have a person that i'm looking into this world through when I see something clear exactly as it is, my person is a clear, a clear lens that I'm seeing through. My lens is not affecting me. I'm, I'm able to see it clearly. This has not affected me. This is, this is actually transparent. I, I mentioned it yesterday, uh, a few days ago to my beloved. I said, my body feels great today. It was invisible. She's like, what do you mean? I was like, I was like, well, because I, it didn't show up. I didn't feel soreness anywhere. I did my practice, but like, even in my practice, I didn't like lean in too hard. And I finished my practice and I, I drank coffee. I pooped, I ate food. I didn't, get a, I didn't get a stomach ache. I didn't bite my lip. Like my body didn't ruin or interrupt any of my experiences that I needed the body for. So what I see is happening in society is that there are a predominant, so this is literally an essay and it's like a, a big chapter of the, the book that you know I've been working on for a minute called Moon Theory. Yeah. And the essay is called Third Density. Sorry, tribalism is the ceiling to third density. And tribalism is, is like, this is, this is the ceiling and third density is like this pocket of, of 
consciousness. And without going into all these terms and stuff, it basically means hyper-identified souls with their physical makeup. So we're all souls and some are hyper-identified with their physical makeup, whether it's because of economic situation or racial situation or cultural situation, it is what it is. That's actually one of the, the, the flying flags of Siddha. It is what it is. Um, as I've come to work with different people in trauma, I actually don't care how you see me because it is what it is. And if I'm here and I'm meant to be of assistance to you, then it's important that you see me however you see me. But now I'm actually seeing how you see me and that's helping me see how you see yourself. It is what it is. It is what it is. If it is, then it must be here for a reason. If it is, then why is it? That's the place that I approach it from. From a, uh, my, my, my Sifu, my teacher, my lineage that I come from as this, it's, it's, an, it's a desire to be of assistance because I just pulled up into town. Both my legs work, both my arms work. I seem to be fit. I seem to be able to speak. I'm not in pain. And damn, there's a dude with no leg. That lady's bleeding. Um, that dog is biting the kid right now. Dude with no legs gonna have to wait. I'm gonna throw my towel at this lady because right now the dog and the, and, the, and the eating the kid is the most important thing. So I'm gonna now start by neutralizing that situation. So really that's my attempt at moving into any of this is like, okay, this is really noisy. That's really noisy how can I zero point? And I would say that, man, every, every of these major, well, that's enough of that, but I'd say someone like, and I'd say like intentionally, someone like Jordan Peterson is to me what this conversation can move forward with. There's a lot of people that are like, oh, it's just another white guy. And uh, you know what? Thomas Sowell, Sowell, I think it is, Thomas Sowell, Dr. Thomas Sowell, and Jordan Peterson are two of my favorite lenses in neutralizing. Um, Thomas Sowell uh, is an African lineage man that I, I don't know if he identifies as conservative, but most of the things that I see him say, they're quite counter, um, they're quite opposite as to what you'd think that someone like him would say. Um, there's there's, I'm sure there's plenty of other people out there in the world, and um, I'd love to hear your lens of what it looks like to move forward and what you feel like is that zero point threat. But I sense that there's a lot of an attempt to fix the world without fixing the self, without fixing the first, the inner working. It's like moving into the situation, being like, I'm here to fix the house. Here's my hammer. I'm ready to go, guys. And you're like, bro, you're actually, you're bleeding from your esophagus. Your blood is dripping on the two by four. And your hammer is made out of crayons and it's not as effective as you think that it is. There's a lot of that in the culture and maybe that's a bit more cartoonish than actually. No, that's great. That's fun. But, but it's, but, but I, I mean, whether, whether it's, you know, and man, so Joe, Joe Rogan. So this is the second time that I've met him. And I mean, look, uh, I mean, if you're on this podcast and you don't know who my dad is, check it out. But yeah, this guy, Ted, um, what, a, what an interesting figure, so much clarity and so much intelligence and so much spirituality and so much truth and so much truth, logic, common sense that he's on, honestly always mentioning. And yet so much of the delivery of it is so harsh and it is so unhelpful. And I, as an as a offspring of his, has, have assist, attempted to tell him how unhelpful that um, uh, delivery 
of the insight is. But even I, I, I was watching Joe Rogan and I think him, like a, a several other people, it's almost like their mission, it's not even about the things, it's like neutralizing the width of the things to make it not just condensed and compressed for that sake of compression, but like uh, something I witnessed him do with Ted and I've seen him do it in other podcasts, talking about Joe Rogan as like, you know, he's also a martial artist and he's a comedian. And then he like hosts UFC events of like the most deadliest warriors on planet earth, like fighting each other in, in, in front of cameras and people. And so this guy's a very interesting karmic situation, but yeah, I watched him time and time, several times, at least there at that time with Ted recently, November, 2021, he gives an opportunity for that person to reveal their level of self-awareness without any kind of teaching, without any kind of coaching. And then his, if he, he even pressed on the gas a couple of times, um, cause Joe, it's, you know, Ted says something like, you know, what uh, Ted loves to just rant about how evil nancy pelosi is and joe was like well let's why why, why if you're if you are ted and ted is saying these people are just terrible people joe was like but why if that's the case let's talk about why because that would be under that would be more like a movement towards understanding and ted you know violently proclaimed potentially with a guitar in his hand at the same time there is no understanding there's no point in why don't ask why joe and he said yeah, this to why, me yeah. and i was like man what a I, to this day, have had these moments with him where he's just like, there's no, there's no reason. And to me, that's where his ceiling is, is that there is no, and I, and, and mind you, he's an avatar that is so representative of many people. Um, Obviously, as, otherwise he wouldn't even get anywhere near the Joe Rogan show. Right. If, if, if Joe Rogan did not see him as like principally valuable. Avataric. Audience. Yeah. You know, he, he basically, he's had Ted on how many times? This is the second one, second time. So, you know, it's like, he's basically saying, hey guys, I know what you are and I know what you need, my audience. And what you need right now is some Ted Nugent because you need to see who he is through my lens. You know, like he doesn't bring anybody on there unless he's like, this is relevant. This is important right now. And there's some kind of victory that's happening for the hunter. There's some kind of victory that's happening for the conservative. There's some kind of victory that's happening, you know, in terms of the incalcitrant, I will not move from this position. There is no why. There's just, that's wrong. This is right. Right, but then he has uh, Paul Stamets on. He had Snoop Dogg on the week before Ted was on. He's had um, uh, Tim, uh, Richard Doblin, Tim Doblin, something Doblin, the guy who's founded Maps. You know, Joe Rogan's very interested in it. So uh, uh, all those listening, I sent Dear Brother Mirror Paradox, the, the episode of Ted and Joe talking, and he's like, where do you want me to zoom in? And I'm like, I'm not sure. It's really the whole thing. <laughs> Just like, I don't know what to tell you right now. And, and all that I got in response was a Terrence McKenna video. And I couldn't have smiled deeper in my soul because, I mean, I've been, I've been prophet, prophetizing as best I can to these, um, you know, I don't even think Ted would call himself a Christian, which, by the way, I want to mention before we get off here, I don't know what your time is like, but there's this dogmatic tribal Christian complex that I've been, that has been confronting me 
uh, literally coming to me and it's been very weird but i sidebar i wouldn't say that ted i don't think ted would call himself a christian i think he'd just call himself a soul a spiritual person but um uh terence mckenna speaks about plants and the usage of plants in such a beautiful poetic conscious logical tactile relevant useful talk about value based on use you know uh the world is eating ourselves alive and these plants are talking to us and trying to get, you know, he, he, he's a humorist while he's also a pragmatist. Yeah. And I mean, in 2016, I, I started, I would walk around the streets of, of uh, it was my first time I went to New York actually. And I had some psilocybin and some DMT and uh, two ayahuasca experiences. No, I only had one ayahuasca experience under my belt at that time. And so I'm walking through NYC just ear pods in earbuds ear pods and uh terence mckenna just flowing through my my awareness and he's pointing at trauma complexes but he's pointing at socioeconomic complexes he's pointing at like almost as in tears by the way there's there's this aesthetic in bali i'm almost done to hand the baton back by the way there's this aesthetic in bali where it's like the step down fields you know what i'm talking about is there a name for those they're like fields on the side of a mountain, but they like level out almost as steps. You know what I mean? Yeah, they're, it's, it's basically uh, tiered, rice, tiered rice fields. Um, Terrence McKenna did that to my mind. And he was like showing that there are these, it's not just chaos. Jordan Peterson's helpful like that too. It's not just chaos. There, trust me, there's chaos, but there is rational, logical processes that assist. And it's part of nature actually to integrate that. So- I mean, yeah, what, what in all of that? Yeah, let me ask that. What, uh, you know, I, you're my brother. I'm, I don't know what to you, but I'm some kind of a, a younger version of yourself in some, in some respects. And I send you this video. My dad's talking to Joe Rogan, just in moments, a beautiful poet and a, and a, a savant. And then other moments, just an Igor-like um, caveman uh, ranting. And then you send me a Terrence McKenna video. Tell me about that. Well, I mean, I think where, where I'm coming from is that there's a dominator story. There's no doubt that the dominator story won out over the plateau of however many 40,000 years it was where humanity was basically as Terence McKenna kind of postulates, you know, sitting pretty uh, after the, you know, uh, the, the, the dying off of the Arborian jungle into the plains that, you know, the, the cattle and the coop and the mushroom became a clarifying, um, you know, augmented food source where, you know, human, you know, Proto-humans sought out different food sources because their old food sources were dying. And they came upon this sort of semi-food source, which gave them greater physical, visual clarity and turned them on sexually. So all of their ancestors became more prolific in terms of uh, sexual copulation and generation of, and also more successful hunters. So for a period of time, it was this massive, orgiastic, uh, you know, encouraged glossalia into language, 
over 40,000 years that became what humanity's culture was. And then there was a dominator culture that grew out of that, that became the kings and queens that, you know, I, you know, that identified this is ours. Everything that you guys created in terms of language, beauty of, of the details of, of interaction with nature and culture and agriculture and all these which, things. Which real quick, this is basically stoned ape theory, right? Yeah, it's, this is this is Terence McKenna's stoned ape theory. Monkey, the monkeys, ate, monkeys ate psilocybin, psychedelic mushrooms, and woke up into what we understand as kind of modern hominids. And then at a certain point, the the dominator culture that was proto chimpanzee, you know, essentially before that reasserted itself in the form of you know city states and kings and queens and the military commandeered by you know like. All of this is to say, I'm, I'm just sharing all of this because I want to accelerate this mentality, all of this to, to equal Ted Nugent consciousness. And Ted Nugent consciousness is there's victory and there's defeat. And victory is anything that gets everyone fed and like measurably their lives improved. And, you know, people get to be sovereign maintain their their own selves over everything else freedom and and the 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 construct that i want to kind of tool out is that liberty and freedom are in constant balance liberty means i get to do with my land what i want but i also get to encourage other people's liberty because they have freedom and if their freedom means they come onto my land, I have to have a dialogue with them about liberty. This is my land. That's not your land. These are my elk, not your elk. These elk are going to do this to the environment. Like any of those details come out of a conversation between what freedom and liberty are. And so what I'm trying to do is say, I heard your father clear, which is, I'm sovereign, you are sovereign too. Anyone who tries to take away your sovereignty is the enemy. And anyone who tries to stop those people from having sovereignty in any of these contexts are idiots and need to be pushed down as far as possible so that the smart people can rise up. And I said, okay, like I hear you loud and clear. I hear what your value sets are and what you're trying to communicate, which is my liberty counts, what I do with my guns, what I do with my land, what I do with the animals and the intelligence that I can offer in terms of the helicopter killing of, of pigs in a place where they are eating other people's livelihoods in the agricultural world. And I've figured out what's smart. Great. Like, thank you for your intelligence. Great job. Now let's find a way to all communicate these value sets in a way that augments all of the needs, not just your sovereign need to be right in your context. Texas is a singular context. It's different than Africa. It's different than Indonesia. It's different than, you know, the neighboring states, you know, and there is a unifying principle that was expressed in Terence's work that was about unifying 
these fields and I can't remember exactly what it was that like triggered me to, to send you it, but it was something about the equalization of the value sets. And I was kind of acknowledging what your father was saying as a really important part of the whole, but it's not integrated. It's very much, I am on this mountaintop with this gun and this helicopter. And I know that if you come anywhere near this mountain and I don't agree with you, I'm gonna shoot you down. It's not, I'm on this helicopter on this mountain to provide for everyone, which includes trying to understand where you're at from your mountaintop as well. Yeah. What's it called where that integrates and evolves and is inclusive and yet extremely rationally logical? Some water, I mean, water like like uh, you, said, you said what? Samoa Warna means all colors. Samoa Warna is uh, is Indonesian, and it's this idea that you're coming from orange, and these people are coming from green, and there is turquoise and violet and and indigo, and that. Each one of these is a progression. And to, to come from the red and move slowly towards the green is to be, you know, our world, our view is best. Wait, there's a better view. The world view is best. Wait, there's a better view. Like that humanity evolved over time through a bandwidth of colors. Yes and that we're at a stage where we can now integrate all of it. And, you know, I'm just calling it Samoa Warna because it's in Indonesian and I can say it, it's all colors. And it's this idea that there is a spectrum of understanding that's unified in the prismatic singularity of all of those colors being valuable. Yes. Um. Matt, please. To me, this is what Ken Wilber's work points at. This is what Ten Terrence McKenna's work points at. This is what true, uh, call it, like social philosophical yogic theory points at. And there's a I don't want to bastardize it. I don't know if it's like a Lakota term or if it's just an indigenous American term uh, that comes from a particular place. Forgive me for not knowing exactly, but it's the idea of this rainbow prophecy. It's this idea also, although I, I see that it's become extremely Romanized and in Romanized, it got raped and raped, got lessened in its actual meaning and value, but it's actually a bioluminescent term and it means the second coming. And it's the second iteration of evolved crystal consciousness as hominids. It's also called the age of Aquarius. Um, it's been called the end of Kali Yuga. It's been called um, The New Earth. I mean, Eckhart Tolle's book, The New Earth, is freaking about what we're freaking talking about. Yeah. Basically. And, 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 and uh, the Trump and the post-truth world 
is a book that Ken Wilber wrote um, that's very, very good. Just when uh, Trump got into office, which was basically this massive critique of um, kind of neoliberalism, but also of, you know, kind of um, ethnocentric. Um, it, it was it was his attempt to build that Samoa Warna perspective, where Wilbur. he's highly critical. It's it's called Trump in the Post Truth. Uh, hold on, Trump in the by, by Ken Wilber. Yeah, wow. Trump yeah. in the Post Truth World by Ken Wilber. Very gotcha. short book. Very short book. Um, but you know, really, really describes very well the process of how we got here and why we're here. Um, and it is that integral thing of, you know, we have to include the voices we don't agree with. And it runs into a lot of paradoxical statements of if this is true for you and this is contradicting it and true for me, there is somewhere in the middle that we can meet that integrates these truths. And by doing so, we're creating an opportunity for so many people that we are not yet considering. So I got to harmonize this in a framework that for me is, it's the most digestible framework possible because we've all seen its logos and its logos is the rainbow. The rainbow is the full color spectrum in seven breakdown colors. And it happens to parallel exactly a concept that does come from a particular place called uh, yoga, or at least this kind of Sanskrit way of looking at the nature of the actual body. It's not an idea called the chakras, but there's this red one at the root of the spine. There's this orange one just below the belly button. There's this yellow one that's around the solar plexus. The green one is the heart. The blue one is the throat. This uh turquoise uh, this uh indigo one is just above the eyebrows and this violet kind of uh almost maroonish one is above the sarasara and the crown and so when i'm looking at the growth of any any soul that i'm interfacing with it's not even like i have to attempt to do it it's it's because i've become so interested in my own clarity and in my own call it sovereignty in my own biomechanical psychological functioning pleasantness really about my own wellness I, I notice which ray is predominant for any person which which of their chakras is functioning as their driving engine and society itself can be looked at like that as well and groups of groups can be and groups of thought can be as well so this uh i forgot there's an actual book that talks about it um, this yogi, forgot the name of all of it though, but uh, it talks about this, we're actually in this midst of this shift into the fourth ray, into the green ray, into this heart, into this heart coherence of being able to boom, understand whoever I'm with, not with words, not with intellect, but with something that is beyond that, which seems to be the whole message of Jesus, which is a being in the heart, literally living in this heart space. But this yellow ray, what's right below the heart is this yellow. And the yellow is all about my individuated, specific identity as it arrives in the group, which is called society, which is also why Terrence's work is super, super, super um, refined and not, and not, I mean, some, he, he, do, he does go on long tangents, but it's, um, he looks at it as like, well, it's not for no, huh? 
they're fun tangents. They are. He does, he's quite the you know drunken boxer poet guy. Um, yeah. And Sorry. yeah, yeah, no, it's like it's to me, it's like that's where I don't know. It's just some of my conversations with Ted. Just mm, yeah, all right, well, tried, I tried, but it's like, well, why the 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 why is the fun part? The why is, you know, in anytime I'm working with someone and it's like, oh man, this trauma happened to me when I was a kid, man, fuck. And it gets to this point where they really come to the grips with it. All of us, if you really want to do trauma work, call it shadow work. If you really want self-realization, we're all as a person, you got to get to that moment where your worst thing, you got to say why. And the why always is because you had to become this. And this was this compression moment. This contraction, it was the moment where you broke into this shattered, fragmented poetry, not just brokenness for no reason. It's not broken for no reason. And it's shattered actually as the chakras are a shattering of one unadulterated white light. And then it moves into a prism and it shatters beautifully. And it's perfect part of how light operates. Light moves through this situation and then it undulates, it arpeggiates, it articulates into these fractals. So understanding these fractals is just as, in, it's so incredibly as important. And I think that's what's the integration part is understanding the key components is the missing thing in understanding the whole and the holographic. The holographic dimension that we're in can't be understood by a perspective that's in the holographic dimension. It has to be understood by a framework that sees the holographic dimension is being looked into. And this is where self-realization and clarification, I keep calling it self-clarification. And, and, and let's, let's identify that like one of the things that we do not have in our society or in any society that I can identify is a place where not you are now accountable to the laws that have been put in place, which is what courts are, and prisons are, but what is actually making sense right now in our current court of appeals? Like, what are the voices that are out there right now that are to be considered? You know, when you look at co congressional conversation, uh, you know, it's really about people having specific agendas, either supporting or dismissing those agendas. It's not about a, a point of let's investigate how to integrate the rage of the dispossessed middle class that once upon a time had factory jobs that have gone the way of rust and a slow motion explosion that has slowly disappeared. You know, um, how do we integrate that rage? How do we integrate that um, dispossession, you know? How do, we, how do we integrate where we're headed, you know, with uh, automation and, robo and robotization of the majority of menial workers? And is there, you know, what are the evolving conversations and where's the place to have that conversation? You know, besides like long form podcasts, I would say that there's not a lot of places that we're having this kind of conversation. I see something like this in the same way that we both understand a company like MAPS and there's others like this, which are, you could call it a positive institutionalization of something that has been dismissed and also uh, demonized, which is psychedelics, but for the use of therapy. 
So imagine some kind of um, integration of this style of communication and, and elaboration for the sake of clarity in the same way that we're moving towards this, you know, uh, heightened education of how psychedelics can improve the way that any psychological system works and functions, meaning any person's mind and, and state is functioning. So it's like, you know, I, I think, I think there is something maybe, like that. maybe for those people that, you know, are like, um, cause again, Terrence would say, you know, uh, very rarely does a yoga mat practitioner step on their yoga mat with trembling knees, not knowing whether they're going to come out alive or not because of the possibility of death by astonishment, you know, that psychedelics represent, you know, there is this, you know, there are approaches to this kind of collective uh, um, integration, you know, that for me, like the Ketchak Council, just to get back to this Balinese reason I'm here, hmm. is that when I came to the Ketchak and, you know, the Ketchak is this interlocking, you know, concentric rings of people all speaking at once in the cadence of cooperative overlapping um, um, uh, interlocking rhythms, you know, that, that after that feeling of I've been speaking constantly right next to this person who's been speaking the same thing, but different than what they've been speaking over there in this nonverbal, but I mean, in, in this non-syntax, non-meaning-based way, that when you then come back to language, there's a, I've already been heard. I don't need to speak and be heard because I've already been heard. My voice is already a part of the chorus. And I, hear so, you I, I hear you pointing at that we've lost our sense of pr primal tribalism, so we're like stuck in this psychological tribalism. Yes, yes, and, and it's, it's that primal tribalism that actually brings forth the true wisdom of, is this going to be valuable to me and my family? Is this truly going to benefit my community, my family, my individual body? And that there are other tools besides psychedelics because all of the psychedelics are essentially already in our physiology. That's the purpose of ritual. That's the purpose of specifically organizing time for or end results, like what courts and laws and Congress and what those things were in, you know, before we had the 13 colonies, Ben Franklin saw the form of the Lakota gatherings where different tribes were able to come together and have these Congresses, these councils, where they worked together to find mutual aid and mutual benefit. And the one thing that we cut out that they had in was the 13 grandmothers that was an additional element of the Congress, the body of law and the body of, you know, and the, and the House of Representatives. There were three bodies that we translated, but there were originally four in these Lakota gatherings. I can't remember what it was called, like the white Congress or the white something. It was basically like where all of them would come together all of the tribes would come together and have these grand meetings. And ben Franklin was there being able to see this and see how it organized. He was able to speak with the elders and learn its structure so that he was able to get that and translate that to the founding fathers to represent a higher level of democracy 
than, than had been achieved anywhere else. You know, but it left out the grandmothers. It left out the wisdom keepers of the older women that said, actually, is this valuable to our community? Is this going to actually benefit our children and, and the women of our culture? That was, that was kept out, right? So, you know, Man. all this to say, psychedelics are powerful. They hold a very specific purpose. And I think it's for shaman. And that means those people who are willing to take the responsibility of the vision for the majority of people. But I don't think it's central to the Congress of everyday life. I think that there's, there's contradistinction. And maybe at festivals where everyone can do anything and everything is permissible and there are guideposts and guardians to be able to allow these things to happen. You know what I mean? Like then, then sure, everyone can play. You know, maybe, maybe, but I think that, you know, psychedelics are not for everyday life. They're for specific journeys to bring back information so that you bring it into the three, the realm of society and, totally. and restructure the rituals that are everyday rituals that help people to get along, be heard, hear each other and make decisions collectively that are for the greatest benefit of all, as well as the individual. You know, so I, I had to break that down and put that out because I think, you know, we, we have a tendency to look at this, you know, this like, I've actualized my Atman in this crucial, beautiful, psychedelic moment, but then where do we, where do we put it in terms of actual application? And that's where, that's where activism comes in. And that's where making actual change show up in the, in the waking state. It's like, oh, cool. Good job. You made it through the trip. Well, welcome back. What are you going to do now? You know? Yeah. And, and which is why I said maybe because I, I, I mean, if anybody's asking me for like advice about psychedelics, I'm like, don't start at a festival. That's from, for at least from my context, this is a sacred thing that maybe you and a guide should like, you should learn about how it affects you by yourself or with a guide, I mean, probably not by yourself if you're first timer, but with a guide, it's a sacred ceremony. It's a ritual situation. It's not a party. That's, I think, where you get parted with fragments of self and stuff. But this whole idea of, and I, I, I think specifically, it's like the psilocybin and these other kind of ingredients are from Mama Earth, and that's how we integrate them into our biochemistry. But then our social chemistry, our collective chemistry needs to get integrated by something. And that's not from like a big ass peyote pipe. That's from, I, I, I think there's this missing piece of some kind of terrestrial consciousness. And I think that's why psychedelics make people feel a little uneasy because it doesn't feel terrestrial. It doesn't feel uh, utilitarian. It feels a bit more vacational potentially or vocational. I'm not sure. But there's something with this grandmother I mean, literally elderly women talking about what works and what doesn't work with elderly men. And that is some kind of like, y'all have been on earth in these bodies. Y'all should at least be present while these middle-aged people are talking about, because maybe they're the sharpest in their, in their wit and belief and, and seeing what's, what really could be pushed and then seeing what's you know dangerous about that too much pushing. But this kind of checks and balances also from generationally. I mean, kids don't need to be there. I don't think so. But this kind of grandmother council frequency that I've heard about indigenous cultures having 
I, I see that as definitely lacking. And I think that's also where some people get really turned off with the whole, you know, oh, ca capitalism is evil because capitalism is a reflection of the, the, uh, the patriarchy and the patriarchy is a reflection. And it's like all evil and it's all bad, but it's like, it is, if it is, then it must be here for a reason. So why is it? Let's integrate, harmonize, and unite those aspects that are positive and those aspects that are wanting to be lifted into some kind of, what, what is the highest benefit here? What is the highest procedural recalibration possible? And, and the, three, the three words that come to me are coherence, signal, and integration. You know, the idea that each group, each individual, each tribe, each nation has its signal signature um, and it takes time to translate them into meaningfulness to each other. And that in that translation, there's the opportunity and possibility for integration. And the integration is not a, uh, the mean, it's not the middle ground, it's the most peaks that can be reached collectively so that each person gets their highest for a period to explore what's possible if you are given that sovereignty facility and possibility. What would you do with it? How would it be beneficial for everyone? Is it going to be? Let's give you the baton for a period of time because we've come to this conclusion that this is the right way to be. And I know that we're kind of building towards, um, towards closing, uh, and I have this, this inspiration uh, that I want to share <laughs> that I think is hilarious. Please. Um, and it, it, was, it, was a, it came to me one time, it was this idea of janitotalitarianism. Janitor? Janitor. So the idea is that there's something that needs to be cleaned. There's something that needs to be addressed. Okay, we've got nuclear stockpile. It's irradiating the oceans, uh, the, 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 the bottom fed creatures are all dying. They feed the, you know, like there's some systemic thing that is de by its very nature degrades the value of life. It's decaying also. It, it's decay, it's destruction, it's, it's, you know, delirium inducing, it's whatever it is. There's this one world viewpoint where every nation and every person says the quality of the oxygen has to improve. So every single human being on the planet will plant 100,000 trees in the next, their next five years. And we are going to reap whatever it is. It could be any of a thousand things, but there's one thing that the entire world agrees to clean up. And until it is achieved, it is the singular focus. Everything else continues. Everyone's doing their thing. You know, there's still wars going on. There's still, but every single human being coordinates to deal with this one thing until it's completion. Love that. And that, 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 that image came to me and it was like, but it's totalitarian. No one can get away from it. If yeah. you're not doing it, there's fines. If you're not doing it, there's prison time. Like it's a thing. Yeah. You know? And um, 
yeah, there's a cost for not doing it. Man, may I share what that installed in me? Absolutely. Um, it's one of these projects that I've been looking at because, you know, I, I moved back here to the ranch as kind of home base. And now I'm just like, all right, I think I'm a genius and I'm going to work with Kanye and I'm really good. Prove it. Shut up. All these projects that Ted has, they're kind of just sitting there. And then he's like, I'm going to do a podcast. Okay, everybody, I'm on a podcast. It's like, dad, no, that's just your phone. And you're just doing a Facebook live. Like that's, he thinks this is a podcast. I need some help. Oh my God. Um, we needed like lighting and camera. Like let's settle down. He has this company called Camp for Kids and they've planted like something over 50,000 trees in the past 10 years or something like that. Um, like over 20 camps in different states. Um, and I don't know how many kids, but you just started talking about this and I'm like, all right, in, I, I put it, I put the deck together. There's some other stuff I'd love to tell you about offline, but um, there's these other projects that people are asking him about. And then him and his team are like, Rocco deal with it or do something, do something about it or else it's not going to happen or we don't care enough. And I'm like, Whoa. Um, so I make a pitch deck and a pitch deck really is just meant to begin a design language conversation and, and hopefully steer it towards what's the most high thing that could come about it. But anyways, when you're saying this, I'm like, wow, what, I need to make a pitch deck and like somehow get him on and his team on board and like everybody that he's ever interfaced with through this organization, which is a, a nonprofit 501c3 and be like some type of spring 2022 challenge or something. And like, I don't know if the incentive is like how many trees can you plant, but like, what if each one of the camps in different states planted, you know, if they got, if they got like 50 kids, which I think every one of them has over 50 kids. Um, yeah. Like, can we, can we plant, can we plant like several thousand trees this, this spring, this upcoming spring, that would be a fun, like incentive thing. Yeah, it, it brings me back to, to square one, like where we started, which is great. You know, it's like, we're really here to carry the magic tricks of our family forward. My sure. father was a fencer. I became a stuntman. You know, uh, my, my father was a psychologist working in a prison to give people the tools to be able to get out of their oppression. He worked on Skid Row to get drunks to like rebuild their lives, you know? And I'm a cultural creator that is, you know, essentially designing possibilities in the creative realm for people to be able to move their lives forward. I am a continuation of the signal that my father was and I carry his magic tricks forward Man. and I refine them and right. I build on them. Evolve and you them. have a very, uh, you have a, a father who has a mountaintop and on that mountaintop, he has a number of different, you know, uh, spell books that are as yet unfinished, you know, and they're not, they're not fully formed. And, you know, in part you may say, well, actually, you know, some of this is necromancy. This is, this is like, you know, magic. I don't like, but, uh, you know, in writing in writing your, spell code on top of what is in his books you can refine the magic 
of the legacy of the Nugent, you know, yeah. and it's, it's a, it's a banner. You're a bannerman for your father. I'm a bannerman for my father, you know, and, and we carry our legacy forward. So whatever there is in the world that is of your family, because you're now living there, that you can carry forward, yeah, that's a great vehicle for you to get clear in your uh, vision of what's possible to include the storyline of your, of your family and legacy. And that's not always easy to do, but because of the quality of your family, you know, there's a lot to integrate. There's a lot to transform. There's a lot to develop. Trans translate. And translate to value. You know, because your father is someone that is, that is largely misunderstood and also largely understood. On a visceral level, there are many people that agree and understand who he is. And there's a lot of people that have a lot of resistance to him. You know, and so being able to be that translation force for as long as it takes, because you don't want to live in your father's shadow forever, but you do want to be able to mirror the lens, you know, you want to lens and mirror the value of what he's put into the world that has enough to teach you your next step. I see. Powerful poetry, brother. It's good fun. Thank you so good much fun. for the opportunity. Um, Man. I hope this finds a venue. Um, yeah. I hope that you know the people who end up hearing this and listening to this, you know, are are drawn to continue to follow the works that we are initiating, that we are doing in the world, and um, that you know our signals get fed, and that yeah. you know we 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 continue in our legacy and the development of our legacy. Yes. You know, whether it's for our children or whether it's for the world, depending on what we do in our lives, you know, yes. that it's, it's for this unfoldment, you know, and the refinement of our, of our, um, our offerings. Yes. Our, our magic trick. Yeah. Yes. Uh, anything that you'd like to bring to attention in your world or as a, as a closing thing, anything that you're working on that you'd like to bring attention to or, or send, send attention to, you mentioned many great books, that I'm, I hope everyone gets a chance to look at as well. Yeah, we can, we can maybe, you know, in, in whatever the liner notes, just look below for a, a set of references. Um, for me, you know, I'm moving into uh, trying to explore because of the COVID times, um, how live streaming can be more uh, valuable in these times. Um, I've taken on a job with a group called One Seven Live, um, you know, and I will be exploring that and looking for people to um, kind of continue to develop their language. Um, you know, in you know, in terms of my work, you know, I'd love people to watch the first three episodes of C. Check out my you know work on that show. Um, I worked all the way on, you know, I worked all the way through it, but those three episodes at least, you know, get you know watch Ooh. the beginning of it. That's for good um, stuff. Yeah. And, and, you know, I mean, I, I don't have anything immediately to promote. It's just, you know, I will be developing these different kinds of initiatives around, um, you know, what, what is the technological 
interface for sharing on this kind of level, you know, that, that we can, that we can continue to evolve out in this time so that people really, you know, get the counsel that they, that they need and deserve to be able to, you know, work together collectively. Powerfully said, brother Buddha, thank you for your time. Thank you for your lens. Your magic trick is, uh, instantaneously useful valuable appreciated and uh gratefully received um love you and i look forward to continuing this wherever that's meant to happen yeah man i i, I really appreciate spending the time with you likewise brother much more soon i'm sure thanks for tuning in y'all blessings till next time